This morning, I'm so excited to have one of my best friends. He's one of our overseers as a church. We have five overseers who are pastors that oversee our church, that oversee me. Uh, I mean, every pastor needs a pastor. I need accountability. I need people that I submit to and, and that are over me. And he's one of our overseers, and he spoke the two morning services. And honestly, it's one of the best messages I've heard as a Christian. It really helped make so much sense of some of the stuff that I've been through in my life and some of the reasons why, you know, we have issues in our life. It was just so powerful. And if you knew his backstory, he's not going to get into it today. You'd understand what an absolute miracle this man is, that he is actually here. He had probably one of the roughest childhoods of any story I've ever heard. And I've heard some pretty bad stuff. Uh, And the fact that he's here is just a sign of God's grace and God's love. And I know you're going to enjoy it. So let's welcome one of our overseers here today, Pastor Ken Hubbard. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? You ready for the word? Amen. Man, I have just loved being here this weekend. It has just been an incredible weekend, a lot of good stuff going on. And uh, we landed, my daughter's with me, we landed on uh, Friday and we came straight to the communion service that was going on. And uh, it was just an absolutely incredible time in the presence of the Lord, and I just needed it. Uh, uh, Well, let me just say it this way. You guys know you're spoiled. How many of you know that, right? I mean, there's some great things going on around here. You're just spoiled. I'm jealous. I I, I, want to move here for more reasons than just what's going on. It snowed in Detroit Friday, so I'm really glad that I'm here. But anyway, uh, I went to prayer Saturday morning. Saturday morning was just an incredible time. So glad I got to be a part of that. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we think of prayer as a duty or an obligation. If I lived here, I would do whatever I had to do to change my schedule to be here. Um, I was just just poured into. It was just a great time. And then, of course, Saturday night, last night, was over the top. I mean, it was absolutely incredible, the legacy dinner and the vision. I mean, I was so fired up, I was ready to buy chrome rims. You know, I just, like, where do I sign up to buy chrome rims? I just, I just want to be a part of what's going on. I mean, you know, it's so good to be a part of something that God's hand is on. Isn't it great to know that God just takes ordinary people and uses them to do extraordinary things when we all come together? I love your church. I love the dream team. I love the leadership here, the staff, everyone just pouring into me. And of course, you know, I love your pastor and his wife. I think we ought to just give the Lord a good hand clap all over and thank him for what he's doing today. I was, uh, I told Pastor Aaron, I said, look, I'm preaching a series at home right now, and the series title is Roots, and uh, I'm on part number five because of technology. I preach part number five today in Detroit, and uh, today I I was telling Pastor Aaron, I said, I have have something that's kind of on my heart. And it's really not kind of a message that a guest would bring. You know, it's, it's, it's way more pastoral than a guest message. And he said, well, Ken, you're not a guest here. You're an overseer. You're just, I want you to just preach like you're one of the pastors on staff. And so if that's all right with everybody, that's what we're going to do. I found that it's better to follow the leading of the Lord anyway, right, everybody? And so what I'm going to try to do is I'm, I'm pulling some little pieces from all of the messages, and, and hopefully at the end it'll make sense. And quite honestly, if you want to dive deeper into this uh, message, you can go to newgenerationschurch.com, hit the media tab, and there will be a, a, a logo that comes up, Roots. That's all the messages in this series. But today I just want to deal with just a few 
uh, of those things. And let me start by asking this question. How many of you um, would concur with Paul? Paul asked this question. Paul, perhaps one of the greatest men of God that walked the earth, he asked this question. And how many of you would perhaps understand or ask yourself the same question when Paul said, why do I do what I don't want to do? Can anybody relate to that? Now, hold on. I'm not talking about (laughs) pre-salvation. I'm talking about even after salvation. And I love God, and I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm plugged into Coastline, and I'm part of the dream team, and I'm a pastor and a preacher of the gospel. But why do I do some of the things I really wish that I didn't do? They don't really reflect God. They don't reflect the character of God. Can we just be honest for a minute so I can see who I'm talking to? Anybody ever feel like that? Uh, just curious. I need a little interaction. Okay, most of you. There's always a few perfect people in every crowd, and that's okay. So all I'm going to do is lay on the couch today and do a counseling session with myself because, as Aaron said, God's done some amazing things in my life. And this message is really part of my life story and discovering uh, some of the things that God is doing in my life. We all have what I would say we all, um, from time to time, exhibit different, what I'm going to call fruit in our life that perhaps doesn't reflect the character or the heart of God. And, um, and of course, Galatians chapter number five bears this out. Galatians tells us that there is a fruit of the spirit, which we've heard of, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, all those things. But, but prior to that, it also says there is fruit of the flesh. I mean, no, there's fruit of the flesh. And, and those are things that I really want to dive in today because uh, I grew up in, in a legalistic kind of a church where when I dealt with those negative fruits in my life or those fruits that, uh, that were very fleshly and not God-pleasing, and I'll give you an example of one. Uh, as I got as an older teenager and into my young 20s, young adulthood, I began to manifest and understand there was this fruit of rage and anger in me. And, and I'll talk about where some of that comes from. And so I went to some of my leaders in the church, and, and, and I just wanted to grow in God. And I said, man, I'm having these issues in my life. And, and I grew up, again, in this very legalistic, very uh, cliche. How many know it, it bothers me when Christians like to give you trite, cliche answers like everything solves in three easy steps or four keys? How many, know, how many know life usually doesn't happen that way and life and healing is usually a journey? Can anybody relate to that? That's what Christianity is. It's this journey of becoming less. That's sanctification, becoming less so that Christ can become so much more in our lives. And so I would say, man, I'm struggling with these issues in my life. I love Jesus, but I don't know what's going on. And I would get answers like, well, you should be praying more. You should fast more. I fasted till I looked like a Q-tip, but I was still looking, I was still manifesting fruit in my life that was not pleasing to me, to others around me, or to God. And, and, or they would question my spirituality. Well, maybe, maybe your relationship with God isn't good and those kind of things. And sometimes we give answers that we, we try to take care of the fruit and, and pull it off the tree, if you would, Instead of recognizing that every fruit has something deeper connected to it, and that's a root. And that's what I want to kind of tug on a little bit today and kind of pull on just a little bit today. Uh, Because, like, for me, sometimes we'll come up with very cliche or very what I call humanistic answers or what I call a self-helps gospel. And, And so 
hey, I'm struggling with anger. And so we get this message that's three easy steps to overcome anger or two keys to overcome anger. Or, or, or hey, if you're having problems with anger, uh, go in the corner and count to 10. And, and when you're done counting to 10, it'll be gone. But if you really struggled with anger, by the time you count to 10, you come out madder than you were when you went into the corner. How many know what I'm talking about? And I, I call that an Anthony Robbins infomercial time, type of Christianity because then it's all up to my performance and my discipline and my ability. And how many know Christianity and our relationship with God has got to be bigger than what I can do in the flesh and what I can produce in myself, right, everybody? And so, um, and, and so there's something deeper to that. And the deeper thing is the roots. And that's what I want to talk about. Webster defines root as the cause or the origin to something the cause or the origin to something. And then, and then I want to take it a little bit further than even the root, and I want to talk about the seed, because before the root can begin to grow, there has to be a seed. And Webster further defines the word seed as the birth or the beginning of something. Now, let me explain it this way. When God created us before the foundations of the world, he created us and he put in, I'll just say, the soil of our heart, the who we are, our being, he deposited or planted inside of us seeds of greatness. Isn't that wonderful to think of it about the heart of God, that he would plant inside of me the seeds of greatness? And the scripture bears this out in multiple places, Jeremiah 29, 11, my plans to prosper you, to make you successful, to help you and not harm you. You're the head, not the tail, all those kind of things. And, and so he plants these seeds of greatness in our life. And that's one of the things I love about our church here is that we have classes like the discovery class to help you uh, 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 discover those seeds of greatness that are in you, to understand your spiritual spiritual gifts, to understand the potential that God has put in you, your hopes, your goals, your dreams, the destinies that God has for you. Those are the seeds of greatness that God has put in you. But something happened along the way, and Adam and Eve, they sinned, and sin entered into the world, and then the seeds of evil or the seeds of bad began to be deposited into our life. And so we are born into this world as sinners. Now watch this. Therefore, we are born with the seed of rejection already in the soil of our soul. Let me say it this way. This will be a shocker to some of you, but let me unpack it before you get mad at me, all right? That, that when we are born in the natural into this world, we are immediately rejected by God because we are born as sinners until we are redeemed by Jesus Christ. And that's why so many of us struggle because that seed grows into a root and we have this root of rejection. I call that the tap root, the tap root, because a lot of things begin to manifest in our lives because we feel rejected. And watch this. So we're born rejected until redeemed. How many know some of us become redeemed early in life? Some of us don't get saved or redeemed till later in life. And the longer we go before we give our life to the Lord, the stronger and deeper the root of rejection grows in our life, therefore producing the, the greater ability of producing bad fruit in our life. Is everybody tracking with me so far? And, it, and so it can produce the, the bad root in our life. And one of the things I've discovered is that many times the way the enemy works is he will try to plant those seeds in our lives while we're young. 
while the soil of our life is pliable and moldable. And, and that's, again, one of the reasons I love what's going on here, that we're, we're building orphanages and we're, and we're helping foster care and we're building dream centers and those kind of things to protect the hearts and the souls of young kids who the enemy is out to destroy in our world today. And, um, and, and, and so Jesus then further illustrates something that I find very fascinating in Luke chapter number 17. This is kind of what I want to unpack a little bit today. Uh, Luke 17, most of you probably know this. The cousin verse to this is in Matthew where he says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain and it'll be cast into the sea. But then Jesus further wants to dive deeper into this because some things, obstacles in our lives, are mountains. They're above the surface. We can see them. But how many know there's some obstacles in our life that are beneath the surface and they're a little bit harder to identify? And here's what Jesus says in verse number 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Verse number 6, he replied, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted. Everybody say uprooted. And planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Now, I find it interesting, and I have a very inquisitive mind. Jesus used very particularly the mulberry tree. And I needed to know why he was using the mulberry tree. Why wasn't it an oak tree or a palm tree or some other kind of tree? He said, I want you to consider the mulberry tree. The thing that's interesting about the mulberry tree is when it begins to grow, its roots go into the soil. But what the roots look for is the roots begin to expand and look for the roots of another tree, and the mulberry tree roots will begin to intertwine and twist with the roots of another tree, stealing the nutrients from the roots of another tree, therefore robbing its ability to produce its fruit so that it can produce its its mulberry tree fruit. And I thought, I wonder how often we begin this journey called life with the seeds of greatness in the soil of our soul and our heart. But because of the accidents of life and the incidents of life, because of the things that we choose to do pre-salvation and the things that get done to us that are not our choice, the bad seeds are planted in our life. And how many of you know whatever you fertilize is the thing that grows? And I've often wondered how many times those roots have grown, those bad roots have grown in our life and tangled up with the good seeds and the good plans and the good purposes that God has for our life. And it begins to strangle out the hopes and the dreams and the destinies and the spiritual gifts that God has for our life, eliminating those fruits and begins to produce the fruit, if I could, of the flesh and the plans that the enemy has, and the plans the enemy has is to lead us down a path of destruction. To further illustrate this this kind of all by way of intro, James throws something in there that just kind of adds to the picture. In James chapter number 1, in verse number 4, James says something, or verse number 14 rather, he says something that I find very interesting as it relates to this whole thing about being intertwined and tangled. Because it's it's not as easy as just saying, well, I'm going to get rid of anger. Because the good seed in my life might be that God created me to be a passionate person and a zealous person and a type D personality and a go-getter. But through the, the issues of life, maybe that becomes 
entangled with the bad seed, and it comes out as anger. And it's not just as easy to rip anger out of my life without pulling out who I really am created to be. Am I making sense to anybody? And so James then adds a further uh, picture to this, if you would, in verse number 14. James says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. How many of you know that we all have evil desires? I know you don't want to admit that in church, and you don't want the person sitting next to you to realize that, but we all have evil desires even after salvation. We, We all have those evil things. The word evil in the original text is the word wicked, so it even sounds a little more severe that we have we have wickedness in us. Come on, not everything in us is good, right, everybody? And, and Paul said, there's, there's wickedness in me. There's, when I'm left by myself without Jesus, it's amazing how bad I can get, how fast I can get there. And I, I know you're not like that, but you probably know somebody like that, right? And, and, and so the original word says, the, the original word is that we're all pulled away by our own wicked, wicked desires. And our desires come from uh, bad appetites in our life, bad hungers in our life, those kind of things. But the word wicked is where we get the word wicker. And if you know anything about wicker, anybody here have wicker furniture, patio furniture or something? The, the, what, makes, what, what makes it strong is that wicker is twisted together. Isn't it amazing? You, if you look at wicker furniture, you could take one of those sticks that's woven together, and you can break that real easy, right, everybody? But you start adding a lot of bad seed. You start adding a lot of bad issues and uh, uh, circumstances of life, and those seeds begin to develop roots and begin to weave themselves together. Now it's not easy to break that habit, to break that thought pattern, to break that generational curse because there's been years and generations and wrong thinking, and now it's become strong, or could I say it this way, it's become a stronghold in our life, and it pulls us away. Is everybody with me so far? What I'd like to do for our next few moments together is I'd like to identify where some of the seeds that are planted into the soil of our life, where they come from. And you say, well, what's the purpose of that? It seems like you're just spending the time talking about the negative things of life. Well, one of the reasons that it's important because I believe identifying and understanding where things come from, one, help us to eliminate the excuse in life that, well, this is just the way I am. Can I tell you, it's not just the way you are. It might have been the devil's plan for your life, but God has a greater plan, and he didn't create you to be average. He didn't create you just to get by. He didn't create you to have rage or depression or any of those bad fruits in life. He created you to be the head and not the tail, the victor and not the victim, the conqueror and not the conquered. Aren't you glad for that today? And so it eliminates this idea, well, that's just the way that I am. Because a lot of times we'll just blame it on, we'll blame it on all kinds of things. We'll blame it on, well, that's just the way I grew up. Sometimes we'll even blame it on our heritage and say, well, that's the Italian in me. No offense to the Italians here today, all right? But we'll blame it on all kinds of things, just kind of resorting to the fact, well, that's just the way I am. I've come to tell you that's not who you are, and where you're at is not where you have to stay. Here's some of the places that those seeds come from. Number one are the hurts and the pains of life. And we all experience them, the hurts and the pains of life. We live in a fallen world and bad things happen. 
hurts happen, pain happens. If we pass the microphone around in this room today, every one of us, I'm sure, could talk about some train wreck, some tragedy, some bad thing that somebody did to you, some bad decision that even you made, something that you did, something that happened to you. They are the pains of life. And what happens is if if we're not careful, we'll close in around that. And if we don't have coaches in our life, even at an early age or any stage of life, if we don't have coaches, if we don't have pastors, if we don't have parents, if we don't have small group leaders, if we don't have friends around us to help mentor us and guide us through those painful, hurtful times of life, what happens is those seeds of pain and hurt, they begin to grow roots in our life. And then we become, I like to say it this way, we, we kind of become like Jericho. Joshua chapter number six talks about Jericho. Jericho was tightly shut up. Our emotions become tightly shut up. And then the Bible says, no one came in and no one went out. Have you ever met anybody like that? They're just, they've been hurt by life and and they don't let anybody come close and they don't go out to build friendships and do life. But I've come to just remind you that we've got to do life together. If we're going to begin to tug on those roots and pull up those roots that are caused through the seeds of pain and hurt, then we've got to do life together. We've got to have pastors and coaches and small group leaders in our lives that will help us identify those things and, and, and see the fruit that God created us to have develop in our lives. Is everybody with me on that? And so what happens is that when we grow up with hurt and we, we have hurt at home and we have hurt on the job and we have hurt all around our life, it can produce particular fruit in our life. Some of the fruit might look like perfectionism because I'm trying so hard that nobody will hurt me again. Control. I'm trying to control everything so that no circumstances will hurt me again. And, and we see the fruit of workaholism and people joining gangs and sexual perversion and pain and anger and depression and all of these different kinds of things. It's interesting because psychiatrists tell us that the memory of pain, it, it, it rests, it finds a place in every cell of our being, the memory of pain. Here's what I mean by that. They say, they say that the memory of pain can be triggered through a smell. The memory of pain can come up through a sound, a visual, a song, the smell of a cologne, the smell of a perfume, the visualizing of a house that perhaps you grew up in or a painful experience happened in, a TV commercial, a movie, a taste. The, 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 the memory of pain subsides in us, and if we're not careful, it'll begin to grow root. Let me give you one illustration from my life, then we'll move on out of this one. When I was probably around nine years old, I lived a summer with my uncle. My uncle is six years older than me. He was kind of a big brother figure to me. I grew up without my dad, and my mom was gone a lot, so I kind of grew up with a lot of different people. And, um, and my uncle's stepdad, which would be my step-grandpa, He was a logger up in the state of Washington, very violent man. He was a drunk, very violent, very verbally abusive. Everybody was afraid of him. One night after dinner, uh, me and my uncle's job was to go out and uh, throw the table scraps out in the compost pile. And one of the things that was one of the leftover was this little bowl of beets that were about that big. Now, how many know boys will be boys? Does everybody know that? Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about? A little grunt out there. Help me out a little bit. And, and I had this big idea. I thought, you know what? I just couldn't help myself. I'm nine. I'm just a kid. Of course, I'd probably still do it today. I don't know. But I took one of the beats, and I threw it at my uncle. And, and he had this white T-shirt on. I can remember it as clear as everything. And that red beat hit him right on the heart, man. 
And it just exploded. And I thought, that is the coolest thing ever, man. I mean, I think we invented paintball, you know? I mean, it was like, why? And well, he wasn't going to be outdone, so he grabbed a beat, and he threw it at me, and I turned around and hit me on the back shoulder, and we just started this paintball war with beats, and beats were flying, and red dots were hitting us all over the place. We were having the time of our life. And what I'll never understand, and I don't know without being too Debbie Downer on this story, my step-grandpa, his stepdad, he's seen this going on. I don't know what it triggered inside of him. But I'll never forget, he came out and grabbed my uncle by the hair of the head and dragged him in the house and began to, I'll just say, so I'm not too gruesome, begin to discipline my uncle. And I remember fear filling my heart. I ran and hid in the woods as I heard the screams and the cries of my uncle being disciplined for us simply having fun. Can I tell you, that happened to me when I was nine years old. I'm almost 50. And do you know that every time I see a beet, every time my wife puts a beet in a salad, every time I get the smell of a beet, I can't help it. But my mind goes immediately, vividly, to that moment in time, the hurts and the pains of life, if somebody doesn't coach us through those, then they begin to take root in our life and they can produce all kind of bad fruit in our life. Are you still with me today? Let me quickly move on. I'll just hit some of the other ones at kind of a surface level. But let me talk to you about the abandonments in life. We have been called the, the, the generation, the fatherless generation, the, the, that, that we've been abandoned. And, and, and really, we've been called the fatherless generation. But how many know you don't have to be physically absent to abandon someone? There can be emotional abandonment. There can be spiritual abandonment. And, and so we're this generation and, and abandonment. Our father's absence can, can form a lifelong question that plague us. And, and leave us asking questions like, maybe it was something I did. Maybe it was something I lacked. Maybe it was something that I didn't have that caused him to leave. And even to this day, I have to be transparent enough with you to say, there's even moments when I have bad days in my life. I know you don't expect that from a pastor, but I have bad days in my life. And in those bad days are the days I feel distant from God. And I know that I feel distant from God because I felt distant from my earthly father who I didn't grow up with. I never knew him. And even to this day, I've got to remind myself that God loves me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I know that here, but sometimes getting it from here to here is a process of unraveling. And it doesn't happen in three easy steps. It's a journey that I'm still on reminding me that God loves me. He's smiling over me. He dances over me. Even Jesus needed God his father to open the sky and say, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. And if Jesus needed it, how many know we need it also? Right, everybody? When I was a little kid, I just started sharing this story about a year ago. I was a little kid, and I always wondered about my dad. And I always pretended in my mind that he had this little TV that he would turn on, and he could see whatever I was doing. And whenever I'd be playing a football game, I'd just imagine he wasn't in the stands, but I, I, I would imagine he was like on the bat phone, you know, the, the, the TV that he could turn on and watch me play ball and watch me work hard. Because inside of every one of us, we, we, we deal with this root of rejection and this abandonment, and, and we just want to be received. We're looking for someone to stamp on our lives. This is my son who I love. And I'm well pleased. And if we're not careful, that seed will grow into a root, and that root will produce a fruit. That that abandonment will produce fruit in our life like rage, like insecurities, 
and promiscuities and perversion and domestic violence and those kind of things. We have to get rid of those roots and tug on those roots, right, everyone? Let me talk to you about this one real quick. I think some of the seeds come from judgments in our life. This one is a little more complex, but I'm just going to hit it just at a surface level for a moment. Because anytime we judge somebody, if, 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 if I judge you, usually a judgment is coming with a critical or a negative tone to it, right? And the Bible warns us that when we throw judgment into somebody else's field, that that judgment or that seed is going to come back into our own life. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, I believe that it is, Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it's going to be measured to you. And I just want to caution is that we've got to be very careful of our critical judgments that we throw on others because those seeds that we're casting on others will come back and if we're not careful, begin to take root in our own lives. I'll tell you a story real quick, even though it's a little bit of an embarrassment to me. When I first started in ministry, I was 19 years old and I was uh, working underneath this pastor and he resigned by the time I was 20, almost 21. And the church asked me if I'd be the interim pastor. I had no business being an interim pastor at 21 years old. I didn't know, but I I stepped in there and I did it. About a month after he had resigned, there was a group of people, pretty strong group of people. The church was small. It was a little less than 100 people. And a group of those people began to make accusations about this pastor and financial mismanagement. Well, I wanted to be received by this group of people. I, I was young. I didn't know how to handle it. I figured they knew what was going on. And without a shred of evidence, I jumped on the bandwagon. And I began to agree with their criticisms and their judgments. And I began to make my own judgments and began to be suspicious for no reason other than there was this group of people that was judgmental. Fast forward 20 years. 20 years later, I'm pastoring my own church, a church that God used to do incredible things and bless a lot of people. I resigned my church and I'd been gone for two months, left with a great celebration of wonderful things. Two months later, I began to hear rumors and stories that somehow I had mismanaged funds and embezzled money because the same seeds that I threw in somebody else's field, they came into my field and began to grow. The Bible also tells, if I could further illustrate this in Romans chapter number 2, verse number 1, it says, You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. I just want to warn us as men and women of God not to be judgmental. Number four, let me just hit a couple more with you. Number four, I think the seeds are planted through the words that are spoken over our lives. And how many know the words can be good or they can be bad? I won't spend a lot of time on this one, but... but, but, um, It's the words that are said. It's amazing how many people I've met in my life and in the churches that I've pastored that are 30, 40, 50, even 60 years old. And they'll recall something that was said over them, a negative word that was said over them that's 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old. I have this memory in my own life. I remember I'd gotten in trouble in school for fighting. I was just a little kid, and my mom had to come see the school counselor and I was sitting right outside the counselor's office. And I'll, it, 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 it's all these years later, and I can still remember that counselor telling my mom, he'll probably never graduate school. By the way, let me just say, 
No one on my mom's side of the family or my dad's side of the family has ever graduated high school until I came along. Amen? And so the counselor said he'll probably never graduate school, and more than likely he's going to grow up and be a violent young man. Well, knowing my dad's background and knowing um, uh, what he did and things that he did, that seed began to take root in my life. And I'm so glad today that I didn't believe the lie and the word that somebody else spoke over my life. And there are all kind of words and all kind of names, but you've got to remember who you are in Christ. And I don't mean to be cliche or trite when I remind you that you are the head and you're not the tail and you are the conqueror and you're not the conquered. You are redeemed, so you're not rejected. You are accepted in the beloved and be who God has called you to be. Right, everybody? Number five, number five, let me just hit this one real quick. I think that bad seeds are planted in our life through false doctrine and legalistic teaching. Man, this would be a message all in itself. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but you can't just go to church anywhere. Just because it says God on the outside doesn't mean God's represented on the inside. Uh, and that's why I love this church. It's filled with grace. I just, I just walk around here and I just feel, I, I just feel encouraged. Nobody even has to say anything because it's an atmosphere of grace. And you've got to be careful of legalistic, judgmental teaching because what it does is deposit seeds in our life that gives us a wrong picture of who God is. And it begins to take root and it produces the fruit of condemnation. And now you never feel good enough about your relationship. But as I said early, earlier about our Christian walk, it's not about what we do. It's not about performing. It's not about being good enough. And we got to be careful of those seeds that get planted through legalistic uh, kind of teaching and false doctrine. Uh, Let me hit uh, another one. I think that when we don't offer forgiveness and grace, it gives opportunity for that seed to grow root in our life. When we don't forgive other people, I mean, we know this, it grows a seed of bitterness that produces all kind of bad fruit in our life. Let me just give you one more. I won't talk about it, but I want to give it to you because there's some people that say there's seven blanks, so please give us seven answers, all right? And so number seven, I, I think that sex outside of marriage, under out of the way that God created it, I think it plants bad seeds in our life that creates all kind of bad fruit in our life. God has a system. Now, let me just say this to you. I won't preach these, but I want to give you some, uh, just some idea. When these seeds are planted in our life and, and, and they begin to take root in our life, I think they produce particular fruits. And the reason I can talk about this is not because I've read it in a book. The reason I can talk about this is because I've dealt with every one of these. A man trying to love God. A little boy got saved when he was five years old, and I've been on a journey with God, but I had a lot of bad seeds planted in my life along the way, and I've had a lifetime of unraveling those seeds and tearing down those strongholds, and here's some of the fruit that it will produce. I think it will produce anger and rage. Um, In my life, no fruit of anger and rage ever came out until I got married. And now I got married and I got two kids and all of a sudden I find myself getting mad and slamming doors and punching walls and yelling at my wife. I'm embarrassed about it today, but I share it with you 
uh, because maybe God will use my story to help you along the way and unravel those roots. And, and you say, well, why didn't it manifest itself until you were married and have kids? Because the enemy, he will spend a lifetime fertilizing and manifest that fruit at the right time, not just to destroy you, but destroy that person you married and the children that you have so that the cycle and the generational curse just continues. And so you might walk around with the excuse, well, that's just the way my dad was, so that's the way I am. But it's a lie, everybody. It'll produce the fruit of insecurity. I've dealt with that one. Uh, It'll produce the fruit of pride. It'll produce the fruit of independent, uh, like an independent spirit. And I don't mean in a good way. You know, we want our 18-year-olds to become independent. But how many know there's a negative side to independence where you say things like, I don't need anybody. I don't need to be in no small group. I don't need any accountability. Yes, you do. Because the roots continue to gain strength until we are willing to do life, confess our faults one to another, and you will be healed. And when we do that, we begin to expose that root and unravel that root as we begin to do life with one another. Uh, Again, this is not something I'm proud of, but early in my marriage, I would get in an argument with my wife and I'd say this to her, and it all came from bad roots in my life. I'd say, well, I don't need you anyway. It hurts me to this day to remember that I've said those kind of things. I've been married now 26 and a half years, and i got a wonderful marriage. I'm glad she never took me up on that statement. But it was all because I've been hurt by people. It grew a root in my life, and I gained this independence that I don't need anybody. And can I be really honest with you and say that it's only in the last few years in my life that I'm finally embracing friendships, and I'm finally doing life with people, And that while even right now in my personal life, while there's upheaval and decisions to be made, I'm at the greatest peace in my life because I'm not doing it alone. I've got friends and pastors and people that love me and are around me, and it's a way better way to do life. If you're not involved in a small group, you need to get involved in a small group. Hey, I got to close up with that. There's There's other things. There's being easily offended, and there's all kind of fruit that it produces. You say, well, Ken, why did you come here and tell us about all the, the bad things? Because one thing I don't like is fast answers. Because you, there's people here today that are really struggling with these things. And all I do is add condemnation to you if I say you can fix it in two easy steps. It's not true. This Christian walk, we're instantly in a relationship with God and we're instantly, heaven is our home. Sometimes it takes a life journey of unraveling the hurts and the pains and the seeds that have been deposited in our life. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. The good news is God's on the journey with you. The good news is God put you and planted you in a good church with good people around you. You say, well, what's step number one? How do I do that? Let me just say this. In order to get good seed to grow, here's what you got to do. you got to starve the bad seed and fertilize the good seed. It's amazing. I have this company that comes fertilizes my yard because there's this one kind of grass I don't want growing. It's a fine. It's a, it's okay. It's a good, but I don't want it. I want this. And they can throw this fertilizer down. It's amazing to me. It makes one kind of grass grow and it kills another grass. You know, that's what God will do. It'll fertilize his plans for your life. Ephesians tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So what? how, how do you get the good seed to grow? Let me just say this. You got you to gotta prepare the soil. And I'll give you this last scripture, Ephesians 3, 17. It's not in your notes. It says this, Paul's praying for us. And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you will be rooted 
and established in love. Paul says, I want you to be rooted and established in love. Well, what is love? God is love. And so the first step is you got to get rooted in God. Does that solve it all? No, but it begins the journey. And then you water that seed, right? And the Word of God is the water. And healthy church and messages and small groups and participate. That's the water that begins to fertilize the things that God has for us. Hey, guys, i got to close right there. But I just want to say to you, why would I say that? Because I want to eliminate every excuse that the devil has tried to sell you to make you just say, that's just the way that I am. That's not the way that you are. Where you're at is not where you have to stay. Your best days are ahead of you. And with God's help, he'll begin to help you unravel those bad roots so that he can produce the good fruit so you can understand and recognize the plans and purposes and the destinies that he has for your life. Would you receive that today in the name of Jesus? Come on, give the Lord a good hand clap, would you? Amen. God is so good. Well, right before I leave, I just want to have the privilege of praying with you. And then your pastor is going to come and give you some last minute instruction. Today, I think somewhere, I don't know how many cards have been turned in, but somewhere around a dozen folks in the first two services have given their heart and life to Jesus. They said, you know what? I need to get rooted in love. I want to give you that same opportunity today. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place today. If you're here today and you say, hey, Ken, you know what? I I, I want to discover God's plan and purpose for my life. Maybe for too long, these worldly negative fruits have been in my life, and I just need to turn my life over to Christ and become a Christ follower. The Bible says in John 3, 3, that unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if you're here today and you're not serving him, you're not walking with him, you're not really a follower of Christ, you're not rooted in him, I just want to give you that opportunity. We're not going to pull you forward. We're not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray a closing prayer. And if you say, hey, Ken, I went in. I want in on that prayer. I want to get my life right with Christ. I want, to, I want to become rooted in him. If that's you today, all over this room with no one looking around, if that's you and you just slip your hand up in the quiet darkness of this room. God bless you, young lady. Is there any others here today? Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I see you. There's four that I've seen raise their hands and said, that's me. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Is there anybody else? I'm going to pray a prayer. And when I say amen, your pastor's going to come and kind of give us some last instruction. You don't have to pray this prayer out loud. I'm just going to pray for you right now. And as I pray, if you would just kind of pray in your own way and agree with this prayer, I believe right where you are, God's going to come in. You're going to begin the process of being rooted and grounded in him. So, Father, today, I thank you for Jesus. I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved by your grace, not by my works. Father God, I recognize there's bad fruit in my life. Father, I pray that the roots and the seeds that you have planned for my life would begin to be recognized as I give my life to you. I want to follow you and discover your plan and purpose for my life. So I, I recognize I'm a sinner and I give my life to you and I thank you for your amazing grace in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You know, if you prayed with us this morning, I want to encourage you to do one more thing. On your connection card, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you prayed either one of those prayers, we'd love to know about it so that we can pray for you. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make, and we want to support you in that decision. 
So I want to encourage you to check that. Drop it off in one of our tithing offering boxes as you leave. And you know, we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to call you or come to your house or chase you down. All you'll get is a simple email that gives you some of the next steps of what it means to serve Jesus and follow him. And it gives us an opportunity to really pray for you, the greatest decision you'll ever make. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible today. We've got plenty of Bibles available outside. It's our favorite thing to do as a church. How many, how many of you are glad that Pastor Ken is one of our church pastors? I tell you, that message answers so many questions that I think so many of us have had on why do I keep doing the things that I, I don't want to do? And if that really hits you today, I cannot encourage you enough. If you're not already in a life small group to when the next semester comes around this, this January, February, join a life small group living in freedom every day. We have a 12-week small group designed to walk you through this whole process of untangling those roots to really close the door on yesterday and uproot some of that stuff that has been killing you. And if you ask anyone that's been through life, they'll tell you it's been one of the most powerful journeys uh, that they've done as a Christian, you know, to really walk them into what it's all about in a very powerful and a very life-giving way. So I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Would you stand with me as we close in prayer today? I just want to pray over you as we leave here today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, that you brought this message to us today, that you began to answer some questions that we have, but let it not stop here, God. Let us take the next steps and find a healthy small group, get Christian brothers and sisters around us, because that's where real life change takes place, is when we begin to do life with one another and, and begin to share. You'll forgive us, God, but your word says confession will bring healing and freedom. So as we get to do life with other believers. We can begin to talk about what we're struggling with, what we're dealing with, and through your grace and forgiveness and that confession and relationship with others, we can find the freedom and the wholeness so that we don't have to live with with, with the lie of Satan that this is just who I am. It's not who I am. It's not who you created me to be, God. And if we'll follow your plan, we can find freedom and we can find healing and we can find the wholeness that you desire for us. Thank you, Lord, for that message. Let it go deep into us and let us take the steps we need to really apply it to our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody.